From the Love We're Finding studios in Memphis, Tennessee, I'm Byron Tyler, here with Carrie Vaughn, the CEO of Love We're Finding. Carrie, our special guest is back in the studio with us today. That she is, my, my wonderful wife, Lelania. I think it's maybe bring your bride to work week, you know, but that's okay. It, it works, but we're glad she's here. Absolutely. You know, we're talking about our children this week, and the things that I learned in Adrian Rogers' teaching on marriage, on the marriage and family, were how important it is to keep the Word in your home, the Word of God in your home. A few things that we would do um, in our home, I remember specifically praying with our children at night before they'd go to bed, reading God's Word with them together. I wanted them to understand that it was a personal relationship with their Heavenly Father, that they could talk to Him at any point in time. Oh, those are great memories. And I also remember Adrian Rogers saying, keep your children around the gospel. Just just keep your kids around the good news. And, and we did that. And we always had them in church. They were always involved in Bible drill or mission projects. And, you know, we didn't know what to do sometimes, but we made sure that everybody was at church or we were around kingdom things. And I think God really honored that and blessed that. Friends, today's message is taken from Proverbs chapter 3. You know, we used to have the privilege of having Adrian Rogers right here in the studio. We always enjoyed his time with us. And we asked him about the book of Proverbs and how it relates to raising children. And this is what he had to say. Well, the book of Proverbs is written, if you will read it carefully, to instruct children. Actually, the book of Proverbs is a guide for parents to instruct children how to grow up wise and not be fools. And... Um, there are many children today who are wise to do evil. Generally, however, a juvenile delinquent is a child trying to act like his parents. And so what we need to do is to, for parents, first of all, to master the book of Proverbs, to love it, and then to inculcate these wonderful truths into the hearts and lives of their children so that their children will be wise indeed. And the Bible says a wise son makes a glad father. Receiving listener comments from all of our friends, Carrie, as you well know, really encourages our hearts here at Love We're Finding. And Lelania, I believe you have one such letter that's quite encouraging. I do. My husband and I listen to the daily broadcast every day. We believe Adrian Rogers was one of the most gifted preachers there ever was. We were both saved as children and raised in Christian homes, so we have been believers for many years. But there is just something about Adrian Rogers' preaching that speaks to us and has helped us to grow in our walk with Christ like nothing else. I resonate with that. Years ago, we were coming out of a worship service with Adrian Rogers, and my son, we were in the vehicle driving home. My son had all these questions, and I, I pulled the Jeep over to the side of the road and for the next 20 minutes began to unpack the gospel, and he prayed to receive Jesus right there. My daughter did the same thing. And so I look back on that, and I think, number one, that was a spiritual marker in the Vaughn family. But number two, that all came out of the teaching and preaching ministry of Adrian Rogers. Well, friends, we'll be joining Adrian Rogers in just a moment with today's message, Raising Young Champions, Part 2, our scripture reference, Proverbs 22, 6. But first, Carrie, tell us about this month's ministry offer. It goes right along with our theme this month on marriage. Absolutely. To thank our listeners for your gift this month, we want to send you our Marriage and Family Booklet Collection. 
taken straight from the teaching of Pastor Adrian Rogers. This bundle features five powerful booklets that deal with marriage and family matters from a godly perspective so that you and your house can serve the Lord. Things like the music of marriage, survival of the home, God's plan for the man, it takes a family, and how to raise godly children. Great resources, not only for you, but your family as well. Friend, for your gift, Marriage and Family Booklet Collection can be yours when you call 1-877-LOVE-GOD. That's 1-877-LOVE-GOD. Or you can give online at lwf.org. Now with today's message, Raising Young Champions, Part 2. Here's Adrian Rogers. A familiar verse, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he should not depart from it. Now, what does it mean to train up a child? May I tell you, my friend, there is a difference in teaching a child and training a child. So many of us have taught our children and then see them turn and go wrong. Our problem is neglect and indifference. We think if we simply teach that that's all that needs to be done. But then we find out that the child becomes self-willed and self-centered and goes his own way. Let me tell you what the dictionary says to train means. It says to prepare for a contest, to instruct by exercise, to drill, to form to a proper shape, to discipline for use. Let me give you four reasons for disciplining any child. First of all, if you love the child, you'll discipline the child. Proverbs 13, verse 24, He that spareth his rod hateth his son. He that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. That means he does it early. You say, well, I just love him so much I can't do it. You're telling a lie. You don't love him. You love you. It gives you displeasure, and therefore you don't do it, not out of love for the child, but out of selfish love for yourself. You're not better than God. And the Bible says in Hebrews 12, verse 6, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Are you better than God? Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And by the way, my dad, when he used to spank me, said, son, I'm just doing this because I love you. Did your dad ever tell you that? Boy, I knew I was my dad's favorite. He loved me a lot more than he loved my brother. I'll tell you another reason you need to do it, not only because you love your child, but as I've already alluded to, because of the nature of human nature. Proverbs 22, verse 15, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Now, lest anybody write me a letter and say, Oh, you ought not to beat a child with a rod. May I tell you that the word rod here, R-O-D, does not mean a, a stick like the handle of a shovel. It's a word that can simply mean a branch, a twig, like a switch that will sting but do no harm. But children, my dear friend, need to understand that there is a moral nature in the universe, that there is a retribution for doing wrong. Fear is a good lesson, and everybody needs to learn it. You say, well, I don't want my child to be raised Fear, not cringing fear, but dear friend, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The man, the boy, the girl who fears God the most loves him the best. The fear of the Lord is love on its knees. I'll tell you what else it'll do if you'll correct your child. It'll save you from so much disgrace. Oh, so much disgrace. 
Do you know what juvenile delinquents are? So many times they're the result of juvenile parents. Excuse me, of delinquent parents, and I could say juvenile parents. Proverbs 29, verse 15, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. So many kids roaming the streets today, we call them latchkey kids. They're raised with a television for a babysitter. Yes, they bring their mother to shame. Proverbs 29, verse 17, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight to thy soul. My dear friend, if you don't want to come to shame, if you don't want your children to be a reproach to you, then you better begin early. Now, I'll tell you the, the greatest reason, though, for disciplining and correcting with consistency. It'll keep your boy or your girl out of hell. Out of hell! Listen to Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14. Withhold not correction from the child. If thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Now, that does not mean that you'll beat sin out of a child. Nobody can beat sin out of a child. It does not mean child abuse. The Bible is very clear and very plain against any kind of child abuse. But the child that does not learn to respect authority from his parents will not respect authority in the schoolroom. He will not respect authority in the church house. He will not respect God's authority. And ultimately, he will become a rebel and a fool, and he will die and go to hell. That's what the Word of God says. Listen, the Bible says that if you withhold correction from your child, you're making him a candidate for eternal punishment. Now, let me give you some rules, therefore, for chastisement here. And moms and dads, grandparents, and those who are going to be parents, I want you to take notes. Number one, again, I want to say in disciplining a child, start early. He's old enough, she's old enough to be disciplined when they're old enough to willingly and knowingly disobey. Some have waited too late. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18, Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. Don't let him bully you with his crying. Now, number two, use spanking as a last resort. And not the first option, a last resort. You know, the Lord speaking to us said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. The rebuke is God speaking first. Chastening is coming later on. Speaking always comes before spanking. There are always times for explanations. There are always times for warnings. There are always times for second chances. Don't just try to cure everything with a spanking. But if you promise a spanking, keep your word. I've told ours, if the rapture comes, you're going to get it on the way up. Now listen, folks, keep your word. Don't make idle threats that you don't intend to keep. What you're doing is worse than anything in the world to say, I'm going to spank you if you do thus and such, and then fail to do it. And if there is a spanking that is due, administrate it promptly. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 11, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. When you say, I'm going to do it, then, friend, as soon as it is practical, you need to do it. And husbands and wives need to present a united front. Don't ever let the child play one parent against another. When punishment is due, let both parents agree that none will show favoritism. Perhaps one parent shall hold and the other shall administrate. Always be a team. Children are very wise. They'll learn to play one parent against another. And when you give a spanking, 
never ever cause bodily harm. I want to say again, the word rod can mean switch. And God has given children a spanking place, and a few good spankings will last a lifetime. <laughs> it's not something you have to do over and over again. But do a good job. Not just a peck and not just a little whack. Do a good job. And after you've done it, that child cries. Pick that child up in your arms. Hug that child and express love. Dry away the tears and let the child go out to play. But let the spanking be such that the pain will be severe enough, not doing bodily harm, but severe enough that he'll never want to buy another one, that whatever it was that caused it is not worth what he got. Always, listen, always discipline in love. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Listen to this, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Don't provoke them to wrath. Have you ever seen parents who they don't discipline in love? They're not trying to discipline the children. You think they're trying to get even with them. Whack! Get out of the way of the television. Have you seen a mother in a grocery store kind of whacking her kids? Get out of the way. That's not discipline. That's just an irritated mother. That's all that is. Just do it in love. The Bible says in James chapter 1 and verse 20, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wrath produces wrath. Bitterness produces bitterness. Remember, it's correction and not revenge. Whenever you have to chasten a child, always work for repentance in the child's heart. Remember that if a child has disobeyed, he has sinned because he has rebelled against his parents, and that's breaking one of God's commandments. Teach the child that not only has he sinned against father and mother, but he's also sinned against God. And ask that child, consider asking God to forgive. Now, you cannot be the Holy Spirit. You cannot force that child to repent. All you can do is correct and pray that the child will repent. You cannot do the work of the Holy Spirit. But my dear friend, there needs to be that discipline now, let me say something else here. We're talking about correction that is consistent. Listen, commence with childhood, communicate with creativity, and correct with consistency. Pay much attention to what I'm about to say now. Set limits for your children. Set limits for your children. Every child needs to be given, number one, some goals, and number two, some limits. Now, if you don't give some goals and some limits, you don't love your children as you ought to. God, with His children in the Garden of Eden, gave them goals and God gave them limitations. Now, when you set down certain limitations for your children, your children will test them immediately. That's the nature of human nature. They're going to test those limits. And if that barrier that you've set up, if that limitation you've set up moves, then the child will have no security whatever. He's going to push against it. And if, when he pushes against it, it moves. It'll give him no security. These limitations and restrictions will be tested. And if you don't give the child limitations, it implies to the child that you have rejected him. And if you don't conquer your child, they will feel rejected and someone else will conquer them. Now, why is it that parents don't want to set limitations? Why is it that modern parents today do not want to say no? May I give you several reasons? 
And you're going to hear yourself if you're not careful. If you are what we call an indulgent parent, if you have refused to correct, and if you have refused to set limitations, I'll tell you why. You're trying to avoid a confrontation. That's what you're trying to do because you fear rejection. The Duke of Windsor, when he visited the United States, somebody asked him, uh, what do you think about America? He said this, the thing that impresses me most about America is the way the parents obey their children. Why don't we set limitations? Number one, we don't want confrontation that'll lead to rejection. Number two, we give our children things and indulgences because of the fact that we've not given them our time. And we try to give them things as a substitute for time. And ultimately, though the children will take what we give and do what we allow, they will ultimately resent us for our warped priorities and these meaningless gifts. Another reason that we do it is we're trying to compensate for our own deprivation. Have you ever had anybody to say to you, I don't want my children to do without things as I did without them? Have you ever said that about your own children? I don't want them to have to do without what I did without. Well, why not? How did you turn out? If you are able to give things to your children, it means evidently that you have attained things. And if you're successful, you came out of poverty and now you live in a fine home and, and have a nice automobile and your boy graduates from high school and you just buy him a brand new automobile just like that because you didn't have one when you were a kid. Do you think you're really teaching that child right? I'll tell you what you're trying to do, dear friend. You have become an achiever and therefore you're able to buy that automobile for that boy. But what you're teaching him to be is an underachiever. You're teaching him that he can get what he wants without working for it. Another reason that we often have indulgent children is it's just uh, status. We're trying to keep up with the Joneses. The Joneses let their kids do this, and the Joneses let their kids do that, and the Joneses buy this, and the Joneses buy that. Set some limitations. I was reading the Proverbs this morning early. I was reading the Proverbs this morning early, looking for Proverbs that tell us to set limitations. There are so many in the book of Proverbs, it is incredible. Often we just give in to our children because it's the easiest way out. Mother's working and daddy's working. Everybody is pushing, pushing, pushing. They're so harried. They're so tired. They just let the kids do what the kids want to do because it is the easiest way. Let me say one other thing here. I'm still talking about um, training that corrects with consistency. I said use discipline. Set limitations. Number three, assign responsibilities. Refrain from giving your child so many freebies. Don't use the television as a babysitter. All, it's not just simply what he sees on television that's so bad, but that television is absorbing that natural creativity and high energy. It's dissipated into passive activities just sitting in front of the tube. Make your child complete what you tell him to do. You could clean up the room in 15 minutes. It may take him or her two hours to do it, but see that they finish. See that they finish. See that your child is held personally accountable. Give them an allowance. See to it that they give away some money. Don't let your child come to church on Sunday morning without an offering. Give him an allowance that is his and let him give of his own to the Lord. Teach him to give money. 
teach him to save money and teach him to spend money wisely. Oh, I wish I had time for all of these things, but I must get to the last and final point. Now listen to what we have said. We have said that Psalm, uh, Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, number one, that there is training that commences with childhood. We have said that it is training that communicates with creativity. We have said that it is training that corrects with consistency. It is training that consummates with conversion. What is the goal of all of this? It is to bring a child to Jesus Christ, to help a child to have something that will last him all of his life, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. It doesn't mean that when he's old, he'll come back to it. It means that he will never, ever forsake it. That is, that he will have in his heart a principle that he will have the Lord in his heart. Now, how old should a child be before we bring that child to the Lord Jesus Christ? Don't get the idea that a child has to have a Ph.D. in sin in order to be saved. I hear people say, now, I just don't believe in childhood conversions. Well, my dear friend, I want you to know I do with all of my heart and soul, and I'm going to tell you why. And if you are a parent, as soon as is possible, practical, you need to lead your child to Jesus Christ. As soon as your child can comprehend the conception of sin, that sin is not just naughtiness but rebellion against God, the moment that child understands that, your child is ready for conversion. It is not unusual for children to be saved. Listen, 75% of all people who trust Christ, are you listening? 75% of all people who trust Christ are saved before the age of 14. Did you know that? Have you ever read Matthew Henry's commentary? Matthew Henry was saved at the age of 11. Have you ever heard about the sermons of Jonathan Edwards, the great revivalist, sinners in the hand of an angry God? Jonathan Edwards was saved at the age of 8. Polycarp, one of the first Christian martyrs, burned at the stake for the Lord Jesus Christ was saved as a child at the age of nine. He lived for the Lord Jesus Christ all of his life and was burned at the stake at 90. Saved at nine, burned at the stake for Jesus at 90. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, many who say was the greatest preacher who ever lived. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was saved at the age of 12 and by his own testimony said, I would have been saved much earlier had somebody pointed me to Jesus Christ. Now, be careful with little children. Do not shove little children. That's wrong. But don't block little children. That's wrong. Guide little children. Guide little children that they might come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. You want a champion for the Lord Jesus Christ? How wonderful if we will train them up with training that commences at childhood, communicates with creativity, corrects with consistency, and consummates in conversion. Now, I'm finished with my message, but let me just say this about this proverb. Is this proverb a promise? Well, yes and no. It is a proverb. That does not mean that you can override your child's will. You can do everything right. Listen to me now. Listen. You can do everything right and your child can rebel against God. But if you want to do everything right and give your child the best way, it's Proverbs chapter 22. 
and verse 6. And giving your child the best way to go means leading him or her into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe today you have a question about how to do that, what Jesus means to you. Go to our Discover Jesus page at the website and you'll find resources and materials that can answer questions you may have about your faith. Go to lwf.org forward slash radio and click the Discover Jesus link at the top of the page. Well, thanks for joining us for our study in God's Word today. Remember, if you want to raise a young champion for Jesus Christ, start early, teach creatively, correct consistently, and bring it all back to the gospel. And join us next time for more from Adrian Rogers right here on Love Worth Finding.